Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that brings you deep dive interviews with the motorcycle industry insiders and racers that make the sport move. I'm Dale Spangler, and in this episode, my guest is Chris Riesenberg, Marketing Director for legendary high-performance motorcycle suspension tuning company, Racetech, and founder of airwheeliesonly.com. This episode is brought to you by Moto America, home of AMA Superbike Racing and North America's premier motorcycle road racing series. Rewatch every round of the 2023 series and revisit all the season's action with the Moto America Live Plus video on demand streaming service. Or visit the Moto America YouTube channel for race highlights and behind the scenes video content. Look for the 2024 race schedule to be announced soon over on the MotoAmerica.com website and be sure to follow Moto America on social media for real time series updates and original content. Let's get started with this week's episode. I'm super pumped to welcome today's guest, Chris Riesenberg, Race Tech Incorporated. How are you today, Chris? What's happening? Man, I just was watching a little bit of Minio's stuff, and I'm super excited to do this and catch up, Dale. Well, you're you're one of those guys. I just, you know, when I see all the stuff that you're doing, you're just doing so many things, wearing many hats. But your primary role these days is with Race Tech, where you've been since 2011. But, you know, what else do you have going on? Well, I, I mean, it all goes back to just being a super fan of the sport and I like to be really involved. I like to help see the sport in general grow. And my role at Race Tech really ties into that. My official title is Director of Marketing. And I tell people all the time, it's really just high fives and handshakes, but it's it's a role of relationships. And, you know, everything I do kind of shapes around that as well. If I'm out there putting a positive impact on the industry as a whole, then I'm representing the company well and bringing business and relationships along with it. So I mean, I've dabbled in everything from doing some stuff for video games to running dirt bike races with my friend Tony Wink. Um, now I'm helping him with his Baja adventure company that he's got going on, <laughs> doing tours and stuff. So, oh. you know, like, but again, it's getting people out on motorcycles, enjoying motorcycles, and it all comes back to race tech at the end of the day. You kind of mentioned it there, like you were a video game developer before going to race tech. So how did that all come about? I would assume that's something you were probably looking at doing long term, but then decided to change directions and move over to the industry side with race tech in 2011. So how did that all come about? Well, I mean, it really started when I was, you know, five, six years old playing in a sandbox building dirt bike tracks. Um, and then it evolved into doing it digitally, just at home for fun on the side. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Stefan Rancada, but he kind of went through that same path when he was racing supercross yeah. he was just making stuff for fun and ended up going to work for the company that made them express atv games and i went to college actually to be an elementary teacher when i quit racing uh, marina cross in 2005 i knew that i wasn't good enough to make a living racing dirt bikes so i went to college and was going to be a teacher and after two and a half semesters i realized that's not what i wanted to do and i was ready to drop out of school and it turns out that the guys at mx versus atv were hiring for a track designer and so I was like, oh, man, that'd be a fun job. I'll go to school and do that. And I sent him a message. And next thing you know, I was on an airplane out there and for an interview. And they had seen some of the tracks that I had released just as a fan on the Internet. And I had an interview, got the job, moved to Phoenix, Arizona and worked there for five years. And then I started to get a little bit bummed on that situation. Basically, when I went there, I wanted to build the best ever dirt bike game. And I'm like, again, I'm a hardcore fan of the sport. And they weren't really going that direction anymore. And so at that point, I was ready to quit fighting with the corporate office and for a change. So I called up my now boss, Rob Brown, who was my suspension guy back when I raced and said, hey, if you know anything in the industry, let me know. And he told me he was happened to be looking for a marketing guy and he thought I'd be perfect for it, even though I had 
really no marketing experience other than dealing with some sponsors and promotions and riders and that sort of things at the video game company as kind of an addition to my job. I went out, had an interview, and they were willing to give me an opportunity and basically said they're going to pay me to learn. And they liked my personality. So I started at Racetech and shoot, I think it's been 12 years now that I've been there. And it's a lot of the same people. It's about, it's like a big family. And I really like the way that we run the business and operate as a family. And we really treat people right. And that side of things is super important to me. Well, that's just like, I mean, the video game thing totally makes sense now. Because I remember when Stefan Ricotta was doing that. And so it makes sense that you probably had that connection, were able to get in with them. But I mean, for a lot of people out there, probably they're thinking that it had to be just like a dream job for some people. So you ended up helping produce MX versus ATV Reflex and then the Untamed versions, which, I mean, those are huge games. And so to be able to kind of say that you were a part of that has to be a pretty cool feeling. Yeah, well, I mean, I told people that it was my dream job. Like when I went there, that was that was it. And probably the thing I'm most proud of, I actually worked on the MX versus ATV Alive as well. Mm. And, you know, when I said I didn't have any marketing experience myself and one other guy jumped on an airplane and went and visited the Red Bull headquarters and I had put together a pitch basically to get them involved in the MX versus ATV Alive. And they ended up being super excited about it. And I got to build James Stewart's compound for that game. and. <laughs> put James on the cover with it. And um, it was pretty surreal, um, that whole experience working with James on it. And my favorite piece of it, I tell people all the time, is we went there and James was hurt at the time. So he wasn't riding. Malcolm was just starting to learn Supercross. So he wasn't doing any of like the crazy rhythms or anything. But I had a background in sport and I watched enough races. I had a pretty good idea of how the rhythms would flow and whatnot. And so I built everything. And then James came to the studio and we showed him the compound and he's like, man, it looks so real and it's so awesome, except I quad that and I quad that <laughs> and I quad that. And I had spent a month of working to make it so you could not quad it in the video game because I was like, well, everybody triples through these rhythms. Like that's the realistic lines. And of course, James Stewart being James Stewart, he quads everything. So I had to go basically undo a bunch of work. <laughs> that's funny, though. <laughs> Uh, better that way than the other way, I guess, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, I think it's kind of cool. So you were also a part of, like after you left Rainbow Studios Group, you're also part of this racefactorygaming.com where like you mentioned you designed over like 200 tracks. I mean, what like, what does it take to design a single track? Yeah, I mean, it depends on what level that you want to do it at. Um, I was, uh, I guess, pretty good at it because I did it so often. Um, it's all height map based. So basically white is high and black is low. And, and so everything's grayscale gradient stuff. And I mean, train was really what I specialized in. And then to grow the game <laughs> and uh, in turn grow the sport, we came up with this idea. There was a couple guys that were hosting races and events that were somewhat organized, but there wasn't really like one place to go to find all the races and that side of things. So we basically created what it would be Monster Energy Supercross, but in a video game form and brought in real sponsors. I was buddies with the guys over at Verb Moto. So we tied in with them to do virtual hot laps every week for the real Supercrosses. And we basically replicated the real series. And that allowed us to live stream the events before the races, show people the tracks ahead of time. Plus with the exposure of Verb, and then they had their Verb Moto gamers at the time, it allowed us to bring in real sponsors to come on board. And we had companies like Fly Racing and One Industries and, you know, Tagger gave us custom painted helmets to give away as prizes. So that was kind of the deal is they get advertising for free, but we also get prizes to give away to our racers. And that series is still going. I'm no longer part of it, but I do check in with those guys every now and again. And they actually had an official AMA championship last year, an esports championship with an AMA number one plate. Um, for Race Factory Gaming, which was really, really cool. And I was super stoked for those guys to be able to pull that off. 
Yeah, it's pretty incredible how the, you know, like I, I will admit like probably 10 years ago, I was somewhat of a naysayer on these, you know, like even like the fantasy leagues, I was like, man, this stuff is just like, it's kind of hokey. But then as it grew and got better, I mean, it's huge now. Kind of like anybody who's into a sport, it seems like, you know, if you can go and do these e-game championships or fantasy leagues, it's just there's so much more fan involvement these days that I think it's a pretty cool time to be in the sport. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely really engaging. And, you know, somebody when I worked at uh, Rainbow Studios doing Demix versus ATV stuff, I, I wish I remembered who said it, but they said their philosophy was if they will use the stuff in the video game, they'll use it in real life. And that was why it was super important to them. And it makes perfect sense. Like when I'm designing my video game bike, I want it to be the coolest looking bike out there. So if they're getting exposed to race tech that way and they want to build that bike in real life, then it's great for me as a, as a brand to be involved with it. And then just, yeah, interaction and getting people into it with the fantasy side. I, I support all of those guys as well. And I'm a fantasy player myself because, again, I'm a nerd and a fan as well. And it gives you some more people to cheer for and more people to care about. It's one of the best things for the privateers is really the fantasy thing, because now instead of just caring about who's the top five guys, you're starting to care about guys further down in the field. Definitely. Well, it seems like it's definitely brought more attention to the sport. People are into it, following it probably more with these games and the fantasy. But let's talk a little bit more about your role again at Racetech, though, because as you said earlier, I had this line written down. I thought it was awesome. You're in charge of high fives and handshakes where I'm like, that's hilarious. But you do a lot more than that. You're doing everything from marketing management, athlete management. You're doing dealer network development. I mean, it seems like a lot going on. Like, how do you juggle all that and then still do all your other projects? Well, the good news is, is when I started, Paul told me I was already 10 years behind. <laughs> so I'm only getting further behind. But what it's allowed me to do, and they're very, very good about this, is obviously there's stuff that has to get done, you know, ad budgets and that side of things. But other than that, they've let me kind of pick and choose what I want to do and where I can make an impact. So that's really where our Race Tech Center program came along. I mean, I think it's, I'm going on like nine years of managing that. And I just saw that we were basically cycling through centers every three or four years. We were getting a new one and they never really were establishing themselves as real legitimate businesses. So we took a look at the program and completely scrapped it. And I started over and built a new program. And what I did is made it to where we actually work with those guys a lot more closely and support them. And it's taught me a ton about business. And so now I'm able to pass those lessons of what works and doesn't work along to our other centers. And our center numbers have grown phenomenally. And I mean, they're real businesses now that are established. And I mean, even with like AMA Supercross and outdoors and stuff like that, we do a lot less of that stuff in-house and a lot of our centers are running programs and sponsoring teams and stuff like that. And we're just supporting them with product and development. And, you know, we look at our race tech headquarters in Corona, California as really um, R&D and marketing outlet. And, you know, we provide the product and kind of a central hub and we support everybody else um, to go out and actually do the work. And, you know, they can take care of their own thousand customers versus us taking care of a hundred thousand customers all in-house. That's not really a good way to give people good service. Yeah, it's kind of like a franchise setup then, right? And they're just based all over the U.S.? To an extent. I mean, we definitely give them a lot of guidance and such, but at the end of the day, it's still their business and their choices on how they want to go about doing things. And the crazy thing about Race Tech is there's no secrets. You know, if you call up another company, they're not going to tell you exactly what to put in your bike. Whereas with Race Tech, as long as you're putting a gold valve in your bike, we can tell you what any of our riders are running in their bike. So uh, there's no secrets on that side, whether you're a customer that just bought one kit or you're a dealer or you're a center or you're having your stuff built in house, you're going to get the same setting put in your motorcycle. Nice. 
Well, you mentioned that you don't have a degree in marketing, but I really don't think that matters. You know, like I feel like for people out there that might be like reluctant to maybe kind of try and look for an industry job in marketing, they might get a little intimidated by it. Like, oh, I don't have a degree or whatever, but I don't have one either, but I work primarily in marketing my whole life. I happen to have an English degree now, but a guy like you, though, I think you're a great example of someone that just kind of rolls up their sleeves, jumps in there and learns it. And I also think that it's also kind of an inherent, like, I feel like you either get it or you don't. You're one of those guys that gets it, I feel like, with relationship building and knowing that really in power sports, most everything comes back to relationship based, you know, like whether it's business, riders, whatever, you name it. So I think you're a great example, like I said, of people out there are, are wanting to enter the power sports industry and the marketing side of things to give it a shot, even if they don't have a marketing degree. Yeah, I think the most important thing is really personality and creativity, I would say. Um, and then the other thing is when I started, Paul and Rob told me, like, we're paying you to make mistakes, learn from them. It's okay to mess up once, just don't do it twice, <laughs> you know, and actually learn from it. And then the other thing that I really did is I picked out the companies that I thought were doing a really good job and I studied what they do and I've watched what they do and I've built relationships, you know, with a lot of those people, one of them being Little D over at FMF. I mean, I love what they do as a company and we're lucky to work very closely with them on a lot of stuff. You know, Don and Paul go back years and years, you know, Paul, the owner of Race Tech and Donnie, and we're the, the owner of FMF. So we already had a relationship there and we've aligned our companies together. We actually sell their exhausts through our engine department straight through Race Tech. But I've just picked his brain, you know, I'll call him and ask him a question or I'll see him at an event or, you know, a lot of it I can see from afar by just watching of, okay, what are these guys doing? Because a lot of it is making the brand cool. You know, if you can make a brand cool, you know, you're in the right track of getting people to like it. And then once they try the product, then it actually has to work when we're in a performance spot where we're at. We'll get back to the conversation in one moment, but first, here's a word from our sponsor. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done. What are some of the most rewarding parts of your job at Race Tech? You know, imagine there's got to be a few things that you know, like are your favorite part of your job. And especially being in the industry now for quite a while, I would imagine there's some things that, uh, you know, you've really enjoyed along the way. It's I'm a racer first and foremost, right? And so along with that comes race results. You always chase race results. And we've built this kind of privateer proven is our hashtag that we use on a lot of stuff. And although we've won a lot of races and championships and that side of things, some of the most rewarding times are working with a guy to make their first ever main event or even guys to make their first night show in Supercross. Stuff like that is super rewarding. And I like those relationships. And we still do a lot of that type of stuff. But now it's transitioned also to be really rewarding for me when I talked about the center program as far as helping someone build a business. And, you know, I had one of my centers that they made enough money to buy themselves a new RV. And I was like, that's awesome. Like that to me was as successful as a guy making their first main event. I think that's cool how you mentioned you kind of like studied the companies that you, you know, you like the way that they did things. Um, it, it makes sense now. When I see like how Race Tech operates, I can definitely see that, that FMF style where you're just kind of like, I guess the way I can describe it is you're like, you kind of just have this good guy attitude towards the sport. You guys are open, you're transparent. I just feel like, you know, what you see is what you get. It's hard to do. There's no secret to it, but I also think it's not easy to pull off. Would you agree? 
Well, I mean, I think it has to be genuine. Otherwise, you can see right through it. And I can tell you that the whole working on ra- at racetracks and helping run events things was just, I like to go to the track and hang out. And I was there and I had a ton of experience with racing. And I was there representing Racetech and talking with my riders and hanging out with my buddies. And I would see something like, man, we could do this. It would be way cooler if, you know, your staging area was set up differently. Or let's try to do this to bring these special guys here. And, you know, we brought Damon Bradshaw to Iowa, you know, stuff like that. And it was like, nobody brought guys to Iowa. It's in the middle of a cornfield. Like, who would have thought of that? <laughs> and then uh, back in the day, with Race Tech, we started sponsoring the Verb Classic events. And they would do these special trophies. And I was like, that's cool and all, but we're a company that likes to make a difference. And I like to, I tell people I like to build champions and not buy them. And we came up with the Race Tech Shocking Performance Award, where we gave a factory sponsorship away for a year. And then that evolved into... I started working with another track in Iowa and Verb kind of went away and they had a company called Evergood for a little while. Oh yeah. And yep. when that came in, I was like, man, let's take this to the next level and let's get all the sponsors on board to give stuff away. But let's put it all into one award as well. And that was where the factory fitted award became one. And it was, you know, you get a full sponsorship head to toe for gear. You would get suspension. You would get an exhaust from FMF. You would get goggles. Like that whole deal came together. And the whole point of it was to create an actual impact that could help a guy, you know, it didn't go to the kid that already had a factory deal and was already getting free stuff. We took the kid that was on a, you know, couple year old bike or gear, but was doing really well and seeing how, okay, can we help those guys? And I just was telling you, I was watching videos. One of the winners of that award actually was Avery Long, who just won 250 Pro Sport, uh, the main event in Supercross. You know, he's been one of my race tech kids for a long time before he signed his factory Yamaha amateur team deal. And it just shows like that little bit of stuff helped them a ton. He's from Minnesota and the money that they saved, they gave him to go for a month and ride in California for the first time he'd ever been able to ride all winter long. I love that kind of stuff. You know, like we did that when I spent some time, you know, at Fly Racing, that's probably where you and I might have met initially. But we always tried to be really focused on when we gave out like contingency awards, it would be like maybe sixth through 10th, you know, like the people that typically would never get something, you know, like a trophy or anything else. So we made sure we it was the, kind of the people like towards the front, but not necessarily the top three. And so I feel like you're just making more and more customers for life with things like that. Would you agree? Well, yeah, it's all about the, when they get something, it has to mean something to them. It has to have value to them. So if it's somebody that's getting stuff all the time, it doesn't mean as much as the kid that gets a new helmet because his helmet was completely roached and he needed one. It helps them keep going racing. And at the end of the day, if we can keep people riding and racing, all of us will do better as a business as a whole. Well, I feel like you're one of those guys. You're just an idea guy. Like I, I can just see, I can imagine what it's like when you get together with like Tony Wink and you guys are just probably going back and forth, coming up with the wildest ideas ever. And I can't even, I'd like to be a mouse on the wall for some of those conversations. Well, maybe we'll have to drag you down to Mexico to ride some dirt bikes with us and we can have a bunch of those conversations. That would be a good time. <laughs> but definitely I, I sit and I think about stuff and then it's, okay, well, how can I make this happen? How can I make it make sense? And then how can I make it bigger? For instance, with the, uh, the Pulp and Max Privateer Challenge thing that they did this year at Denver. Yes. You know, there's a bunch of prop bets. And if you follow my social media at all, I branded myself as the air wheelie guy. And I was like, man, it'd be really cool to see all these guys try to do an air wheelie because I, I go and I ride with these guys that are really good dirt bike riders. And a lot of them can't do it. And they're like, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it. And I'm like, well, let's get these guys to try. So I put a little bit of money in and then I was like, using my connections and marketing and all of the tricks that I had up my sleeve. And we started raising a pot and we almost got to three grand for a parade lap air wheelie. And it was literally like 
16 or 17 guys in a row just straight up in the air off the finish line. It was pretty impressive. <laughs> that's so awesome. I mean, that's a perfect example. And like what I was actually going to bring up next is the air wheelie thing. I mean, I feel like you've become famous for this, you know, on social media. And you even ended up creating a full on website, airwheeliesonly.com. So tell us about how this fun project came about and how it's evolved. You know, like you, I mean, you already kind of mentioned it's ended up in the Pulp MX, you know, Privateer Challenge, which is already a cool event, you know, giving back to the privateers. And then to add that in there, just even cooler element. Yeah, giving back to the privateers is near and dear to my heart. Again, it always ties back to race tech and we're privateer proven. So for uh, me to be involved with it just made perfect sense. And the air wheelie thing, I've always been able to do it because I was a bigger dude and riding 125s to clear jumps. I rode Honda 125s, which are notoriously pretty slow as well. And my bikes were always stock. So I had to stretch stuff out. And so you naturally basically do an air wheelie <laughs> so for me growing up it was just a skill that i had and you know i was just messing around goon riding one day and a picture got taken and it started spreading on the internet people liked it and were laughing about it and stuff and i'm like well we'll do it more often and then it just kind of became a thing and so it's really just kind of branding yourself as something to stand out in an identity and really it's you know don't take things too seriously for me is kind of how it is like enjoy riding your dirt bike it doesn't matter as long as we're all out riding and the website came about just, I needed a place to put things, you know, like recently I wrote an article about two row starts and why I think they should be in Supercross, but you know, you don't have a repository. So like, I'm not going to put an article out every day. So it's a place to put stuff. And then I ran a little Supercross fantasy game the past couple of years. So I was like, oh, I'll put it there. It's a place to put content and whatnot and have a little bit of fun. And then, you know, a couple of the privateer guys that are I'm buddies with like Matt Burkeen and stuff, i put the sticker on their bike is, you know, it's just, it's a something to brand. Well, it's been seriously fun. I think you've probably appeared with uh, more current and former pro racers. They're just total Photoshop gold, you know, like seeing where you're going to end up next, who you're going to be with. I know you you'd had some air wheelies with James Stewart. You've had, I mean, the list just goes on and on. It's absolutely hilarious. But I like your description though. On your website, you had a description of the air wheelie. It's the, it's a calling sign of the soul rider. I couldn't agree more. I think it's, so awesome. And then you even go on to describe, it isn't about the trophy, the money, or factory contract. An air wheelie is all about the freedom of expressing that you love life on two wheels, laughing with your buddies, and sending it to the moon. Like, you're a great writer, by the way. I have saw some of your posts. I was reading through them, and I'm like, this guy, yeah, you got some good stuff, man. Keep it up. <laughs> well, I used to anyways. I have The skill is still there. The fitness and talent and amount of riding and such is definitely caught up to me. But um, it's definitely, I still enjoy riding a ton. And that's the whole point. Like we have to have fun riding dirt bikes. You know, there's very few of us that are out there that do it for a living. So we better have fun, everybody else that's doing it. And, you know, that's the grassroots of motocross. And you don't ever want to forget that. It's you don't go to the racetrack on the weekend to be miserable. Put a smile on your face and have fun with it. Yeah, like you kind of said, like the goal is not to take yourself so seriously. It's just, you know, about having fun with a great group of people. And I feel like that is something that you fit really well with Tony Wink again. With he had, he had the Riverside MX for, for quite a while. Is he still doing it? He doesn't have it anymore. I think he sold it, right? Yeah, so we sold the track, but I mean, we made that thing huge. There was weekends that we had over 1,500 riders entries through the gate in a weekend. This spring, actually, as part of Tony's agreement when he sold the track with the new ownership, he promised that the staff would stay on and help him get going. And over Easter weekend this year, in a single day, we had 730-some entries, the single biggest event ever in Iowa motocross history. And Tony and I worked really well together. I, I'm helping him with his Baja thing just as buddies because I really... He shares the same passion that I do of 
if we have a great idea and we want to do something cool, let's figure out a way to make it happen. You know, it never was about, well, how much is that going to cost? And it was, how do we make it make sense to do that? Uh, a good example I give people was I came up with the idea, let's do a toy track building competition. And Tony's like, all right, cool. And he brings in dump trucks of sand, <laughs> spends like $1,500 on sand. I'm like, Tony, we can just do it on the start straight. He's like, no, it's cool. Well, I'm bringing sand in. He's like, when I'm done, I'll put it on the track. I have a use for it. It's fine. <laughs> so uh, he spends money and brings in a dump truck for, you know, every all the special event stuff that we did. We never charged for any of that stuff. And I would get prizes from industry companies to give away. And a lot of my stuff was basically Tony focused on the dirt and the racetrack and everything around the racetrack was me and making it a really cool event. We had an awesome staff that, you know, helped make all those crazy ideas and stuff possible. And I brought Wes from Verb there. And he was like, never seen a pit bike race like we ran. It was, it was pretty nuts. The pit bike track there was pretty out of hand. It had like an over under bridge on it and stuff. It's it pretty neat. Did you guys do like pool start mini bike races too? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My buddy Ryan um, ran a little series or we wanted to make a series out of it really, but nowhere else like had something as cool as what we had for a racetrack. But talk about grassroots racing. These guys just show up and that's what they ride these little $300 Coleman bikes and some of them would have some super souped up mod ones, but the battle of the race a lot of times was just to keep the bike together was like goal number one. And then we started running the Justin Brayton shootout there and Justin would come back and that was like his favorite thing ever. And, you know, a lot of these guys are really blue collar worker guys. And the reason they're riding pull starts is it's something cheap and fun for them to do. Well, Justin would get there and he'd be having such a good time. He'd start putting up cash out of his pocket and putting hundred dollar bills on the line and making it a dash for cash for these little pull start bikes. And, um, it'd get pretty out of hand, but that was like a highlight of the weekend for him was the pull start racing. Well, I feel like guys like you and and Tony, and of course you got like, you know, Denny Stevenson in your neck of the woods and, you know, people like you, I feel like you guys just epitomize what Midwest racing is all about. You're like down to earth, great local races, camaraderie, and of course, arena cross in the wintertime, you know? And so it just seems like you guys are always doing super fun events there in the Midwest. Just like you said, being creative. And just trying to keep it fun. You know, like, where, where do you think that stems from? Well, I think it is because in order to get people to travel it down to Iowa for events, you have to do something cool. <laughs> There's not enough racers in Iowa, really, just in Iowa to run a big racetrack. You can run something, you know, very grassroots level. But if you want to run something like national quality racetrack, you have to bring people in. You know, I live in Minnesota now and our District 23 is huge and they have such good tracks and facilities up here. It's pretty incredible how good they are. But their rider base is massive. For them to have 600 riders on a weekend is just kind of normal in a district race. Whereas in Iowa, you know, they're 200 to 300 at most of their races. And so for Tony and I to do all the crazy stuff we wanted to do, we had to bring people in. Well, it's tough to get people to leave Minnesota when their tracks are really good unless you do something really special. So that's really where a lot of that came from. And then, you know, trying to help the sport as a whole, Tony got us set up working with the whole series in Iowa and that side of things. And so myself and my fiance, Jenny, started road tripping down there, going to meetings and, you know, sharing our ideas. It wasn't just Riverside Raceway anymore. It was, hey, this is what I would do at all of your events to help grow them and, and make it better and, and whatnot. So to teach them a little bit, you know, it's one thing for me, what I can do at one place. But if I can teach somebody, then they can go do it at a bunch of other places, too, and spread the word and, and grow it a lot more. I did notice like something else you added to your long list of things that you do is uh, you're a hype man at some of the local moto events. Was that that recent event with Tony? Yeah. So that was at Riverside Raceways for most of them, but I do go to some other events and help out. There's a uh, Moto Kazi runs a bunch of fair races up here and 
Um, I've helped them with some events here and there. Um, there's a track called BCMX up here in Minnesota. It's my closest track um, in Cambridge, and it's a really sweet sand track, which is funny because I am super out of shape, and I'm not good in sand anymore. I used to love it, and there's no jumps for air wheelies, so it really doesn't work out all that well for me. <laughs> but I bring my buddies up here from Iowa and stuff, and they're like, man, this place is sick. It's so good, and it gets super rough and whooped out, but it's a really, really sweet track. So they put a lot of passion and heart into what they're doing. So I've been trying to help them. And then, you know, there's a track in Nebraska called Fiddler Creek MX. That's my favorite track probably in the Midwest and the club down there that runs it are just awesome people. So, you know, I try to help them out as much as I can and whatever's coming around that I think is a cool event, a quality event. I, and they're open to working with me, then I will try to help them out. You know, and again, anything I'm a part of is race tech's part of it. So, you know, we're sending out promo items and getting advertising and that side of things from it. But also I'm helping get more riders. And then, you know, I have a bunch of really good race tech centers in the area. You know, PDR Performance up here in Minnesota is one of my most successful race tech centers and they're right in my backyard. So anything I'm doing locally, I can always get them on board with as well and help grow their business too. Absolutely. Well, I noticed your dad, your moto dad now, and uh, they're starting to race, it looks like, and ride. How's that changed your kind of daily life and, and uh, outlook at the races? I'm sure that this will come no surprise to you, but it's it's all fun. And that's that's really the point of it with me and my kids is, you know, I'm far from the mini dad that is going out and, you know, trying to chase championships and that side of things. Honestly, it terrifies me that as my kids are getting faster. My, old, <laughs> my oldest that rides is on an 85 now, and he's starting to like jump doubles and stuff. And it's it's super terrifying to me, but I just try to keep it as fun as I can and enjoy riding with them. I mean, there's no better feeling than getting to ride around with your kids and then watching them have success. You know, like this last summer, we're we're at the, like the fair racing stage right now. And we're to the point like Minnesota's, again, like I said, their tracks and their racing is pretty gnarly, like on a district level. And I won't have them race any district races because honestly, I don't want them to get landed on because that's the other kids are super fast and they're just not at that level yet. They're getting there. But my sonny, my youngest, um, is on a P-dub and at our local fair race, it's a mile and a half from my house. And it's, it's a pretty small event and he had never won a trophy before. And he was all excited. His family was there in the stands cheering him on and he got his first trophy and ended up actually winning. Nice. And he came across the finish line and he's coming down and I'm at the end and, you know, big grin and I'm grinning about it now talking about it. And he throws his arm up in the air in front of the crowd, fist pumps. And it was just <laughs> the most hilarious thing ever. My kids are, I mean, they're, they're all moto kids, my daughter as well. And they set up fake dirt bike tracks out in the, out in the yard and they're doing podium interviews and all kinds of stuff. It's, I love it. I'm, I'm glad to share it with them. And again, it's all about just having fun and sharing it with them and, you know, not taking it too seriously, but doing it, you know, obviously as safe as we can, but also just enjoying it. Well, I can tell you just have so much love for the sport and something I can completely relate to. And, you know, it's been my whole life and I wouldn't want it any other way. So Chris, I just wanted to thank you for coming on today and sharing some of your story. And you really are like an overachiever in a lot of ways. You're doing so much for the sport. How can listeners uh, out there learn more about race tech and follow you online for some serious air wheelie entertainment? Well, definitely the best way to stay up to date with race tech is um, to follow us on our Instagram at race tech Inc or visit racetech.com. And as far as mine is um, checkers with a Z in the number four, four, eight, and definitely swing by. And I'm sure that there'll be some terrible photoshops of me going front end high somewhere, jumping like a grand Canyon or something silly like that. Um, whatever I come up with, but 
definitely it was good to catch up and talk about the sport. I absolutely do love it. I mean, it is a lot of my life, whether it's my kids or my fiance. I mean, she, she's worked in the industry for 20 years as well. So that's what we enjoy. That's what we do. And, and yeah. Well, appreciate what you're doing for the sport, Chris. And uh, check out Chris online for some awesome air wheelie entertainment. Thanks for your time today, Chris. I appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode, follow Pit Pass Moto on your favorite podcast listening app so you never miss an episode. And if you have a moment, please rate or review our show. We'd greatly appreciate it. You can also follow us on social media or visit pitpassmotorsports.com where you can listen to the past episodes and check out the new Pit Pass Motorsports blog powered by Podium Life, featuring articles and industry news focused exclusively on two-wheel and four-wheel motorsports. Head to pitpassmotorsports.com to check it out. I'm Dale Spangler. I hope you'll join us next week for another episode of Pit Pass Moto. Thanks for listening. Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix, dissecting the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato and I'll catch you after the chequered flag.